Here's a cool fact. A crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Another cool fact, you can get short-term health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans are designed for people who are between jobs, coming off their parents' plan, or turning a side hustle into a full-time gig. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. Get more cool facts about United Healthcare short-term plans at uh1.com. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. A word of warning: This podcast contains discussions that some listeners may find distressing or triggering. Please use your discretion. Hello and welcome to Reclaim Me. My name is Madeline Heather and today I am joined by fellow podcast hosts, Sean and Amanda, who are the hosts of the Touchy Subjects podcasts, among many other things. Uh, Sean, do you mind kicking off and introducing yourself and what you guys do? Yeah, sure. So thank you all for listening today and thanks for having us here, Madeline. We're really excited about being a guest on somebody else's podcast because it saves me a lot of time from having to edit. (laughs) (laughs) So true. Um, (laughs) (laughs) So my name is Sean. I am a prevention education coordinator for a domestic violence and sexual assault shelter in Michigan in the United States. Um, I've done prevention work there for a little over five years now. Um, I've done prevention work for even longer than that, doing other things while in my undergrad, as well as like in my master's program, um, doing prevention work out in the community where I was doing my program at. Um, and now we host a podcast as well. Um, so touchy subjects podcast is a podcast that was created, um, to kind of connect the domestic and sexual violence shelters in our area, because there's three of them in pretty close proximity to each other. And we wanted to really have a way to collaborate continuously because we know that people who worked in the city that I live in or city that I work in might live in the city that Amanda works in and vice versa. So it just made sense to have that collaboration. Um, and it's really kind of taken a life on its own because we really just wanted to have conversations around domestic and sexual violence. But when you're trying to prevent DV or SA, you can't just be working on preventing those you have to you're doing violence prevention in general so the same root causes of hate crimes the same root causes of bullying those are all going to be coming from the same stuff so if i'm preventing dv and sa and doing good prevention work i'm preventing all forms of violence so our podcast kind of grew from just talking about dv and sa to where we still root it in those things but we do have conversations around racism, around um, LGBTQ plus um, issues and things like that as well. That's an incredible way to describe it. And you're so right. 
And what about you, Amanda? You're working in the same area, but in a different clinic or different workplace, (laughs) different office? (laughs) It's It's a different office. It's a different agency. It's a different city than Sean works in. Um, but like you said, we've got three agencies that are in different cities, but we're all within about 20 minutes of each other. Um, so there's just a lot of cross between people who live and work in the communities. And we just thought it would be a really good idea, like you said, to collaborate and kind of come up with a more unified approach for all all three of our tri-cities in the Great Lakes Bay region. I'm Amanda. I work at also a domestic violence and sexual assault center in Michigan. And I'm a little bit newer to the game than Sean. I've been working here for about three years. And I do community outreach and prevention education focused in my county. And yeah, we just um, decided that this podcast needed to happen because one, it was the beginning of the pandemic when we got together and started working on this stuff. So um, trying to find different ways to reach people in the community without having to be face-to-face. And it's just worked really well for us. And so we've continued with it. Yeah. So, um, you know, even though people are getting back together face-to-face, it's just a great way for us to reach a larger Um, audience and people from all over the world now. So we're really excited. Yeah, it's actually so wonderful, isn't it? And I started this podcast with that same kind of thought process in mind, I guess. And it's insane to get people reaching out to you, even like this from the other side of the world, trying to find a time. It's very early here (laughs) to to meet and to have these discussions. It's just mind boggling, isn't it? Oh, it's been one of my favorites. Like, I love meeting new people. It's one of the reasons I love doing what I do is just going out in my community, doing presentations, talking to people. So being able to meet people from around the world, doing a lot of the same stuff that I do and being able to just kind of like geek out on some of that stuff has been really fun. And especially just like also meeting people who have similar interests as I do. It's like one of our guests that we had met with, um, he and I still go back and forth regularly talking about horror movies. And we're eventually going to have an episode with him talking about horror movie tropes. And I'm super excited for it. (laughs) That's so good. And it is, it's like a community that you make friends with that you just, you've never met before, sadly. And it's sad that you've got this commonality in some ways, but it is an interest and it is a passion. So when you meet people who also share that, you're bound to be fast friends. (laughs) So Sean, I guess, do you mind explaining a little bit of what prevention work actually might look like? for someone. So, I mean, I know some of the things that I do in um, my, sorry, I nearly said what my job was then. (laughs) What I do in, um, in the area that I work in, is there things that you're doing around policies and things like that, or, or you want immediate response, or is it a lot of different things? What does prevention work actually mean? Yeah. So not to get like super analytical and like diving into like very like in depth detail of like what all of it encompasses. Um, a lot of people think that prevention means like I put up a poster and we're doing prevention work because that's the message that we're putting out there. That's awareness raising. That's not prevention work. Um, it's a necessary piece to prevention, but if that is the only thing you are doing, you're not doing prevention work. Prevention work, like I've mentioned, is hitting those root causes of where that violence is coming from. Or for example, if someone using drugs, what what is leading up to the drug use? 
that we need to work on and address. So that way we're not having that thing take the drug use take place. What things do I need to look at and address so that violence isn't taking place? So like you mentioned, policy, that's going to be a part of it. Um, having good policies put in place, one that are going to protect victims and survivors is integral because it creates the societal viewpoint that victims are going to be safe and be respected. So that way it kind of helps them feel more comfortable reporting it if they want to. Um, but also making sure that policies aren't going to be in place that are going to protect abusers or make it so that it is easier for abusers to get away with abusing somebody. Um, but it also means having conversations in our communities around the root causes of violence or the root causes of drug use or the root causes of people not wanting to wear their seatbelts. Like if we're trying to do prevention work, we have to focus on the behaviors that are leading up to the behavior we don't want, not focusing on just the behavior that we don't want. Yeah, absolutely. And it just makes sense, you know, addressing the, I guess, the root cause of the problem in many ways is the, is this causing this to happen or is this an aspect of the cause of this happening? So that sounds, it makes a lot of logical sense and you're right. I think a lot of people would hear prevention and think Instagram post. Um, but <laughs> obviously you're, what you're, you do is more nuanced. I guess maybe Amanda, what, what might for you a typical day in your area and your work look like? Are there calls coming in from people who are seeking help or are you working with offenders or both? So at my agency and kind of the work that I do here is a little bit all over the place. Um, we have a 24-hour crisis hotline that we kind of just take turns as an agency um, being like the the person to answer those calls. So we get people who are seeking emergency shelter, people who are looking for counseling services, um, looking for someone to be a housing advocate for them. Um, we deal with all of those um, all of those different things that domestic or sexual violence has led someone to have to deal with in their life. So that's kind of the the general purpose of the agency that I work for. Um, my work that I do involves some of that, but it also involves a lot of being out in the community, um, going to schools. I go to schools from pre-K through college level courses, um, talk about prevention work, talk about things like consent and um, just kind of getting the idea of healthy relationships into the minds of the youth. And then I also work with businesses and organizations and doctor's offices and salons and talk to them about kind of how they can help raise awareness with their clients as well and what's the best and safest way for them to offer resources to our agency to someone that they think might be in need of those things. Wow, it sounds so comprehensive. And I, I actually wonder if we've got this level of responses happening. I know that we've got like a national service, 1-800-RESPECT, which is doing wonderful things and safe steps. But it sounds like, you know, this is such a centralized one-stop shop for everything that somebody may need. Do both of your areas kind of service those requests as well? Or are you like if you need housing support or something like that, does that go through to another agency or are you literally doing everything? So um, 
the way that both of our agencies are set up is that our we have a lot of different like pieces in it. So like, for example, at my agency, I'm our prevention person. That's my sole purpose. My purpose is to go into the community, try to do whatever I can to try to work myself and everybody else that works there out of a job. <laughs> um, and then our housing advocates are the ones who are going to be working with the people staying in our shelter to find them housing once they leave the shelter. Um, while they're in shelter, we offer have we also have advocates and therapists who will work with them to kind of help talk through what they've been experiencing, um, helping them start that healing journey. We have um, people who do fundraising and stuff because we got to have money come in from somewhere to be able to do what we do. So really, we have a lot of different pieces taking place all at once. Kind of, we're all working together to help those victims and survivors the best we can. Yeah, it's just actually incredible, isn't it? Like, you know, when you think about the ripple effects of abuse and the ripple effects it has on the system, I mean, we've got people doing prevention out there. There's there's so many layers of jobs and so many layers of of effort that people are going to to try and prevent this from happening. But, you know, you've got housing officers to try and deal with the housing situation. You've got so many different aspects in a crisis line and you've got a shelter there's so much happening it's it's just incredible to see the response and to see the things that you've been able to create um and work within in this space but it's also so eye-opening the ripple effects that abuse has on society a lot of what we do especially with the clients that have already come to us they've already identified that they're in abusive relationships and so we're trying to set them up for the success that they need to not return to those abusive relationships. Yeah. And if we're looking at um, like societal sense too, is that we know that if we're specifically talking around like sexual violence, one in four women will experience sexual violence, one in six boys, one in 33 men, and one in two trans individuals will experience it at some point. That means we all know people who are survivors. So if we're not working on addressing how to have conversations with somebody who may or may not be a survivor, if we're not addressing the impacts on, well, my child was sexually assaulted. This is what I have experienced. Like secondary survivorship is also an important piece and an important discussion that needs to be had. So when you have agencies who are very much focused on something specifically, or like myself doing my prevention work, I often, I will mention secondary survivorship, but it's not a focus of mine because if I put more emphasis on that, I have to pull my emphasis then from doing the prevention of domestic and sexual violence. So it really like, we always need more people to be doing what we're doing, which is also often why we rely on people in our communities to be having these conversations too. Because if it's just myself, or if it's just Amanda, or if it's just you, Madeline, having these conversations, we're never going to prevent anything. And I guess, Amanda, maybe for you, what does vicarious trauma look like in your area? And and do you have things in place as well to look after yourselves? So our agency in particular is is really great about kind of promoting that self-care piece. Um, We work on things like as a whole community within our agency. So, you know, our case managers will have case management meetings every week where they can talk about the things that they need help with. You know, so often there's just been like a little powwow in the hallway outside of someone's office where we're just sitting and talking about, you know, the struggles that we're facing and 
I honestly, like, if I didn't have the support of the other people in this agency, I don't know how I would have made it as far as I have. Yeah, because I can imagine you must get some, especially if you're working on a crisis line, some really distressing things that are happening um, for people who are in dire situations who need help right now. Yeah, so I, um, I, I tell this story as kind of like my defining moment here. I came into this world from not a social work background. I I worked in pharmacy for 13 years before I started working for Domestic Violence and Sexual Assault Center. Wow. Um, so this was all new to me when I started. And my first week here, I'm sitting in my office thinking about all the great things I'm going to do. A, a woman is walked past my office who had just been physically and sexually assaulted. She was entering our shelter and just like getting that very first like look into what I was going to experience working for this agency. I had to get up, shut my door and I just started crying. I was like, I don't know if I can do this. I made a mistake. This isn't something that like my sensitive little nature is going to be able to handle seeing all day every day. You know, eventually I I calmed myself down and through the wonderful support of my coworkers and things like that, I realized that my own feelings don't necessarily matter in these situations. I'm capable of handling it myself and the people who are here need that. They need it more than I can, you know, let my sensitivities take over. So I just found my purpose with it. And that's what I hold on to when things get rough for me is that I know that what I'm doing is making a difference, even if it's just making a difference to that one person that's in our shelter in this moment. Yeah, 100%. And that is so confronting as well. But, you know, they talk about clinical detachment in many ways, right, where you you have to detach yourself and almost in in aspects of that become desensitized, I guess, to the abuse that you're seeing because you're seeing it so often. I mean, it is your job. And if it did impact you, you know, terribly and awfully every day that you were in your job, you wouldn't be able to do it. Yeah, it's a definitely a fine balance between not losing that empathy and not taking ownership of all of that trauma out there. Um, you know, you just you want to fix things for people. You want to make them feel better. You want to like take the hurt away from them. You learn that you can't, that that's something that, you know, they're going to have to work on for themselves. But yeah, definitely it's a it's a balancing act. It's it's kind of difficult, but it's definitely worth it in every every aspect. Yeah, wow. And do you as well, Sean, see many of those types of things in your role or within the prevention space, are you less in the immediate response and more in the proactive response out in the community? Yeah. So mine is going to look a little bit different than Amanda's because I don't work our like hotline. I don't really work directly very often with victims or survivors. What mine looks like more is if I'm out in the community doing a presentation and somebody discloses to me that they've experienced this before, um, that's usually when that happens. So a lot of what mine is, is almost the initial response. Um, I'm sure if somebody's telling me that they've experienced domestic or sexual violence before, they've probably told somebody else because I am a complete stranger up to that point. Um, and it's very rare 
that a victim is going to tell a complete stranger. Uh, most often it's going to be their best friend or someone who's a family member of theirs who they're very, very close with. So really it's me just kind of wanting to be there to reassure the person and let them know that I thank them for sharing it. Um, let them know that the experience is awful and I'm sorry that they experienced those things. Um, but then asking them like what they want from me. Like, do you want me to provide you with resources? Do you just want me to be a listening ear? Because I will be more than happy to just listen to you. A story that I've been sharing a little bit more recently and stuff for it is that I had a student come up to me after one of my presentations, because I also work in middle schools and high schools, saying that they had a friend who had disclosed to them that they had experienced sexual assault. And they were kind of telling me things like, well, this is what I said to them. And I hope that I said the right things. I'm just reassuring that students like you did everything correct in that situation. You were there for them. You let them know that you were going to be there for them and you wanted to help them whatever way you could. They also then disclosed to me like some other things that have been going on in their life that they needed just kind of seemed like to info dump to somebody. And they guess, I guess they decided that I was the person that they were going to do that to, which I'm fine with. I love working with my students, so it was fine. But by the time I was done with my presentations, so I do usually about four lessons with them. That student came up to me after that fourth presentation and said a lot, things were going a lot better. They had taken the steps they needed to to talk to the ther- talk to a therapist to go actually work through those things. I'm like, that's great, that's awesome. Um, so really, that's kind of like what mine looks like more is kind of just helping them along that journey versus like having the initial like initial like disclosure or response of somebody immediately needing help. Yeah, that's so incredibly powerful as well though even getting somebody to take proactive steps for themselves I mean wow that's incredible and it's awesome to hear that you've got these things happening in schools as well again sad that it has to happen that we have to have these chats none of us want these jobs but it's so wonderful that you seem to be taking such a proactive and prevention you know approach to these things which is just wonderful to see I honestly don't know if we've got that many people going into schools. I know we've got people going into schools for consent. I, I know consent education has just become or it's been written in that it will become mandatory, I think, in Australia. Um, but I was actually interviewing somebody the other day who had this wonderful approach to his chats that he has with like 14 to 21-year-olds, and I thought it was incredible because – while it flipped on the head, the feminist inside of me that is just like, oh my gosh, please don't say things like that. <laughs> he was really changing the approach. He primarily only speaks to young boys and men. And okay. one of the things I thought was so interesting was the way that he framed certain things. In terms of consent, he had these chats with guys that it's just like, it's not just to the surface level of saying, don't beat people, don't hurt people, don't sexually assault people. He's like, because it doesn't ring true to a 14 year old. They're just like, of course, I'm not going to do that. He's like, but when we, when we understand that the bulk of, you know, sexual violence victims in, in one-off situations or in relationships and some scenarios, their response is to freeze because that's the safest thing for them to do in that situation. So he's having conversations about what freezing looks like with these kids going like, okay, you roll over and you grab her breasts um, and she, her eyes glaze over or she looks away or she freezes physically or she moves her hand away. What do you do? And I just, I don't know why, but that just pra- the practicality of that to me just was like, 
what a wonderful way to literally give people tools that they can use to prevent it. And it was one of the first conversations I've had in so long where I thought, this sounds like it actually will ring true to people. And they'll go, huh, remember that thing that they said? And it's going to it's going to focus on conversations outside of the classroom as well, where remember when he said breasts, <laughs> like it's going to be at least something, <laughs> yes. you know what I mean? <laughs> yeah. Well, it's like, it's one of the things that I mentioned and I'm sure Amanda does it in hers too, is like I, we mentioned the freezing aspect of it because it's an important piece to be discussing when we're having these conversations around consent. And I'll often try to explain the freeze thing to them by asking them like, how many of you have ever walked through a haunted house and then got really scared and just, couldn't move anymore. Like that's your freeze mechanism. That's kicking in right there. And that's what a lot of times happens to victims of sexual assault. So when I'm talking about consent and like not only saying like make sure that it is active consent, you want to look for that participation. <laughs> if the other person isn't participating, like that's a good sign that you shouldn't be doing what you're doing. Yeah, absolutely. And that, I love that you said that the the haunted house, it really goes back to that horror movie thing that you've got going on there. Uh, well, you know, I ha- when you have a half sleeve of horror movie characters and your students <laughs> ask to see it, like you have to like just stick to the motif that you have given yourself already. It's just, you just got to own it. I love it. That's so good. <laughs> um, but no, it is really good. And I guess how have you applied your podcast in the way that you you both work through it and do you interview people do you talk about certain topics um what kind of things can people expect to hear when they hopefully go on and listen to the touchy subjects podcast yeah so we don't really try to shy away from discussions on anything like if our name of the podcast is touchy subjects like we kind of have to have a willingness to talk about anything but if you're looking for, so we, our podcast also has survivor stories. Um, so if you're listening and want to hear more survivor stories or hear from more survivors and hear from things that would have helped them in those moments, um, we have a few of those on our show. Um, we have had discussions with um, policymakers. We've had discussions with people on what consent looks like on how we can have these conversations with kids, not necessarily around like a sexual encounter. So like respecting boundaries um, we've done episodes on assertiveness. Like I said, we've talked about horror movies a little bit at one point. Um, <laughs> <laughs> we've uh, there's a lot of different stuff on our show. And it's, um, if you head to our website, touchysubjectspodcast.com, and you look at our guests section, you will see all of these different people who have been on our show. And each one of them has different perspectives that we've been able to provide to our audience, which is great. That's so incredible, isn't it? And I think being able to harness the lived experience of survivors with professional expertise or horror movie where you get to actually think, but you're, you're incorporating real life into these discussions. And I think what these two podcasts as well specifically provide is reality to it. You know, my podcast, I make sure that we can swear because I fucking swear at work. I work in a very corporate environment and I swear a lot. Like it's real life. It's how I talk to my friends. It's how most people talk to each other, especially in Australia. We swear a lot. So it's just reality. You know, I hated a lot of things when I went through my abuse and and in the following days and months and weeks after, everything was so fucking clinical. And I'm just going to swear now. But it was so (laughs) 
clinical. It was so like, and how do you feel today? And it was just so not real. It it made me feel so dissociated and like a lack of care in many ways because I felt like I couldn't engage with it. And I think when I started to really engage with other survivors and we were having these discussions that were real where, you know, you're not being told by people, oh, that's unfortunate that that happened to you. Like, I mean, I just wanted somebody to show feelings towards me and actually be outraged that something horrible had happened to me. It just felt like I was, you know, I I often kind of think about it, you know, on the Titanic when Rose is like, I just want to scream in a room and a loud room and nobody can hear me kind of thing. That's how it feels. You're just like standing there and no one notices you. And I just, I remember that feeling so vividly. And I feel like this is what we're bringing a conversation that is informed, that is trauma informed, that is educational, but also it's real and it's got humor in it and it's got real life people in it. And we're bringing it to people in a place that they can feel comfortable, whether it be going for a walk or being in their, the safety of their own home or being out of the unsafety of their own home so that they can listen to it. Like it's, I just, I feel so passionate about that. And I think it's such a wonderful thing that you've been able to do by combining that with the jobs that you actually have. Like those people that you reach out to in the community would probably be coming in and listening to this as well. Like what a wonderful connection to make. Yeah. It's one of the things I love the most about like my workplace specifically is that I can dress like this. And for those of you who can't see me, it's basically just like street clothes. Um, (laughs) In part because I'm very adamant about wearing the clothing of what my audience would be wearing. Like if I'm going into a middle school or high school, I'm dressing like I would be in a middle school or a high school, maybe not as a student, but if the hall monitor (laughs) stops me and thinks I'm a student, it's a compliment because thank you for my 28 year old face looking like I belong in high school. I appreciate it. Even when I'm doing like, like, presentations on human trafficking for people who are looking to get their continuing education credits for their professions. It's like, I never want to show up somewhere and look so professional that they feel like they can't share or talk to me about something. I want to be able to have those conversations with people that I'm working with in the community because if they can't have those conversations with me, somebody who does this for a living... I feel like I failed them. And do you have similar experiences with that, Amanda, as well, I guess, through the different areas that you go into? So my absolute favorite thing is being mistaken for a high school student. So <laughs> It's great, isn't it? Sometimes. It's just, Thank you, know, you. <laughs> you don't need any other like self-esteem boost for the week. You're like, you know what? Yep. I I just got asked what class I was supposed to be in. So... Ah, just 36 years old, high school student. No big deal. (laughs) It's my skincare routine. (laughs) (laughs) Exactly. Um, But no, I I completely agree 100% with what Sean said. Like, you don't ever want to make yourself seem unapproachable to real people. You want to have some sort of, not quite professional, but... Um, a look about yourself because you want people to be able to trust you. You don't want them to look at you as that cold clinical figure 
who's just coming in, just another teacher through the day that's going to ramble some stuff onto you. Like I want them to feel that connection as well. It's literally why my mask that I wear into schools, because some schools still require masks, has a Black Bulls logo on it. And if anybody is an anime fan, they'll probably know what what I'm talking about. Or like I have a Pokemon who hangs out of my pocket while I'm doing my presentations. I'll mention playing video games and stuff with my friends, or I'll use video games for analogies in my presentations. Um, in part because I want people to be able to relate to me. I want them to see that I'm a real person because the amount of times I've had discussions with students after class about video games, those are the same students I see every class period after that who are focused on what I'm saying. It is. It's just reaching the right audience. And I think, I mean, honestly, I've been to that many corporate events where I'm sitting there and I'm like, I'm a corporate person. And sometimes I think, am I just too much of a bogan for for this area? Like, is there something wrong with me? But I'll be sitting there listening to this, like, speech about, well, we thank you all for joining us here today and it's so boring and I have to get up and stand because I have ADHD as well. So I have to go and stand at the back of the room so that I can sway and pay attention because I'm just so distracted because <laughs> it's boring. And then, <laughs> you know, you're not hearing. I think one thing that pisses me off about it as well is it's is curated. So even when you've got somebody getting out there as a survivor who's speaking about their stories, you've got this, you know, penned out version of the story that they would say that they can't say this, they can't say that and I think you, it comes across and that's why I think this grassroots almost bottom up approach that I think is going to impact people more because they can, they're engaged with it. They might ask questions. They're not sitting there because they've paid $250 to sit at a table or because they've been forced to by their job. They're in a classroom setting where they might be thinking, not even in a classroom, you know, in a community setting where you get to kind of think about the application of what you're saying and talking about outside of yourself. And with that, one thing that I know that Sean does this as well is when we're talking to a community group or a student group or whatever it is, we like to mention the fact that we're not perfect. We make mistakes. We have, you know, fell into these things ourselves and that doesn't make us bad people. And we want to make sure that when we're giving this presentation, okay, here are all the red flags of a domestic violence relationship, that people don't look at it and say, oh, wait, I've done that. I'm a bad person. We want them to know that recognizing it, recognizing the fact that they've made a mistake in a relationship doesn't put them on this path toward being you know, a domestic violence perpetrator in their future. All they need to do is recognize it and then take the steps to correct those things. Life is full of awesome what ifs and some not so much, like unexpected medical costs. That's why United Healthcare provides Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans to supplement your primary plan and help manage out of pocket costs. Learn more at uh1.com. A lot can happen in three years, like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare Tri Term Medical Plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget friendly coverage that lasts nearly three years in some states. Learn more at uh1.com. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is plush care. 
PlushCare is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, Right. For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. It's one of the things I make sure I point out always to my audience, especially because like, as a guy doing this, it comes off to me at least a little bit differently, it feels like especially like my guy audiences, like I've had sometimes students say like, well, why are you saying all men are bad? I'm like, well, I specifically say not all men are bad. We know most men will never rape someone, but we know most everybody, not just men are going to do things like tell a sexist joke or laugh at a sexist joke or cat call a woman or do something like that. And if we're educating people on how those things are harmful, then we'll see less of those rapes happen because the people who will eventually do harm know they can't get away with those little things. But I'm also not going to stand up here and tell you I've never done those things. I've absolutely told sexist jokes before. I've absolutely laughed at them. I grew up listening to Dane Cook's comedy specials. So obviously not super great (laughs) in recognizing our past behaviors. We can correct them. So now we're not doing harm in the future. I'm not going to tell you that I've never made a woman uncomfortable because I know I have, but that doesn't, and that doesn't take away the harm that I've done to that person. But what it does do is make it so that I'm holding myself accountable for that. And I'm making damn sure that I'm never doing that again, because that icky feeling that I feel when thinking about how I've made somebody else feel uncomfortable or hurt by what I've done is definitely a feeling I don't want to feel again. Yeah, I could not agree more. And I know I've crossed boundaries before. Um, and I think even I was having a discussion with one of my friends a while back and he was saying to me, I don't like listening to some of the sexual stuff that you talk about, some of the sexual violence stuff. And I was like, why? And he's like, because when you say that, I think that I've done a couple of those things. And I was like, what do you mean you've done a couple of those things? You know, my mind went to obviously I'm a panic person. I just hit the panic button. So I was just like, what, what do you mean? And he's like, well, I think there might've been an occasion where I haven't fully gained consent or I have maybe had somebody that wasn't, that was became disinterested and I should have stopped. Like I've never had somebody say no or push me off them and me continue, but there's been a crossing of boundaries. And I was like, you know, that definitely is the wrong thing. But the fact that you even recognize it and it makes you feel gross is awesome. And I was like, also, that doesn't mean that you're going to be a serial perpetrator, that you're going to be a serial offender or all of those things. Like, it, you know, it doesn't take away from what you've done and it may impact somebody, you know. There actually might be a, an opportunity for you to be someone that reaches out to that person, has a chat and talks about it. I know I did. And I think... Yeah. It, you can do many things in that way, but 
sometimes people who have crossed a boundary disengage with the content because they don't want to be labeled as a serial offender or as one of those guys. They don't consider themselves to be rapists, but they have crossed boundaries before. They have sexually assaulted somebody, even unwittingly, which I think is great that you're both calling that out and making sure that people know that, you know, it's not your fault that you were victimized. And we're not saying that it's not your fault that you have maybe crossed boundaries before, but recognizing that and actively making sure you don't do it again is so important. Yeah. I never want to make somebody feel disengaged by what we're saying, because if I make somebody feel disengaged by it, or if I make them feel like what I'm saying is, oh yeah, this guy's definitely saying that I'm a bad person because I've done this. Well, there's no way they learn from that. There's no way I can get them to look in that mirror and say like, okay, maybe I can learn to not do those things. All they're saying is, nope, this guy said I was a bad person because I did that. I don't think I'm a bad person, so I don't have a problem. It's why I make sure that I tell my audience that I've done some of these things. Because now I'm not the perfect, pure person saying, don't do these things. I'm now this real person saying, I've done some of this shit. It doesn't make you feel great. And it definitely hurts somebody else. So don't do it. (laughs) Like you can learn to not do those things if you've done them. I wouldn't be able to do the work that I've done if I didn't believe that telling a sexist joke was bad. Yeah. I wouldn't be able to do the work that I've done that I do if I didn't believe that. Well, they, they seemed like they wanted to kiss me. So it was okay. Like you learn to recognize that you've may have crossed boundaries and you learn to just kind of deal with, Hey, you've done that. Let's move forward and and see how we can prevent it now. And I don't know. I just think, you know, it just, I'm thinking about my own experiences at school and, you know, any conversations that people have with me as a young person and how inadequate that is for some young men. If someone came into a room to me and said, don't sexually assault people, I would be offended. Like, are you joking? It sounds kind of like that guy of um, Mean Girls where he's like, do not have sex. You will get chlamydia and die. (laughs) (laughs) That's kind of actually what I did receive. Just ter- yeah, left no, sex ed terrified I was going to die of some kind of sexually transmitted I, disease. I think my <laughs> or sex you were ed immediately just- going to become pregnant. Yes, it was the pregnancy or the sec- like STDs and you're just like, <laughs> I, just, I just don't want to do it. Oh, yeah. No, I remember it, I think mine was just like, here's what all of these STDs look like. You don't want any of these, so just don't do it. <laughs> Which also well, you just have religion to, like, in your curriculum, don't you? And is that is that in a part of your curriculum? Is that coming into that education space at all? Um. So for myself, um, religion doesn't really come into it because regardless of your religious beliefs – Everybody needs to be able to understand what consent and healthy relationships are. So I don't care what religious belief you have. You need to know how to have consent and you need to know how to have healthy relationships. Because even if you're married to somebody, you need their consent to do something. Yep. Um, But it's what I do mention is that faith organizations can be phenomenal helps or phenomenal detriments to victims or survivors. Um, if your faith-based leader is saying things like you need to stay in the relationship or you need to work on it, if that's what they're telling this victim, 
they have now made sure that victim is never reporting it or telling somebody else or getting the help that they need because, well, this person who I look up to and is a leader in my community told me I just need to work on this. Yeah. That's what my abuser is telling me. So I guess I just need to work on it. Yeah. Um, Dismissive as well. Yeah. You get and, a lot of those. Um, everything happens for a reason, faith-based perceptions. And, you know, I would never want somebody who's been victimized to think that what happened to them happened for some reason. You know, there are, there are things that there's no reason behind and it should never have happened. And it doesn't matter if you come through it and, you know, you're a, you're a strong person now because you've come through this horrible trauma that you felt you should have never had to do it no matter what. I will say like, we probably do get, at least I know I do. um, We get parents who are not happy with some of the discussions that we are having with their students in their health classes. Um, I've had a parent call me and saying that their son came home and said that I said all men were bad, which was really fun for me when that parent called me and was like, well, I'm the one who does the presentations. <laughs> so then she was like, well, why was my son saying that? I was like, what I wanted to say was it sounds like your son may have taken offense to some of the things that I've said and you need to have a larger discussion with him. But what I said is I, I say in my presentations, specifically not all men are bad. Um, so it sounds like he missed that piece. I've had a parent call saying that some gay guy from my organization came into the health class and was spreading the homosexual agenda, <laughs> which is probably the funniest call we've ever gotten. <laughs> the homosexual I don't know, agenda. Yeah. I don't know what I don't know mm-hmm. what bullet points on the homosexual agenda that consent and healthy relationships are, but <laughs> Well, I, I like them, so <laughs> yeah, let's get more of that homosexual agenda in. <laughs> if that's what we're calling it, then yes, I'm going into the health class. A straight man is going into the health classes <laughs> and spreading the homosexual agenda. Um, <laughs> but it will get pushback from parents because they're upset their kids are having these conversations when they say things like, well, we, we're the ones who should be having these. We, are, we have these discussions with their kids. Like, well, clearly not. Like if you were having these discussions with your kids, we wouldn't have to go into their health class and teach them what consent is. We wouldn't have to teach them how to have healthy relationships because you would have already done it. So there's clearly a lapse here somewhere, but your beliefs aren't going to dictate what I do because I know that I have students who are going to be having sex. I know I have students who are going to be something other than straight I have students who are going to identify as trans. And if I'm ignoring those identities in my audience, I am not doing a good job. Absolutely. And the ignorance of some parents, honestly, my chat, they say, my child tells me everything. No, they don't. Absolutely. They don't. (laughs) No, they don't. And it's just like, they're not going to want to have sex like, and talk to you about it. Most of the time you can have conversations about practical things like, lubricants that don't work with condoms um if you want to and you can talk anecdotally about sex but your child is probably not going to engage with you as much as they are with somebody who looks like them or appeals to them that they can then talk about that with with their classmates like they don't (laughs) nobody wants to have that conversation with their parents and if you are the one-off that does good on you but 
how is more education and a breadth of education on a certain topic harmful rather than the specific agenda that mum or dad has? Yeah. I've had a, I had a parent call me saying that their student learned what the word slut was in their health class. I'm like, <laughs> okay, you told me previously in this discussion that your kid played online video games and you're expecting to believe this was the moment they learned what the word slut was. <laughs> yeah. Also, Come on. <laughs> like what are we really what are we really doing here? Are we, what are, what are we doing here? Like <laughs> sometimes I just want to laugh just like some of the like, comments that I've had on the podcast as well. Like I think I had said something about being a feminist and I was like, I was loving the podcast until you said that and I was just like, What are you talking about? <laughs> like just What? I love it. Oh, I love when I'll get questioned. People will question me, but like, are you a feminist? I'm like yeah. I do I care about gender equality? Absolutely I do because it's kind of a uh a really strong important point when it comes to ending gender-based violence. So I'm just like how do you how do you see this the place I work for, the job that I do and think that person's probably not a feminist? <laughs> The stressing thing is, you know, we've had 18 women and 11 children that have been murdered because of male violence this year in in Australia. And, you know, we're getting to one woman a week and, and you know, the, the children are really not reported on at all and they're, they're lost victims in all of this because they're rarely spoken about unless it's a huge case. But it's not been an election issue you know, one person's talking about aged care, the other person's talking about coal mines. And, you know, I think for the most part, it's so difficult to comprehend that even in this state in in Australia, which is for the most part so progressive in these areas and so wonderfully set up country with all of these um, resources at our hands and I've not heard, I think they. I saw a table before and it was how many times during this campaign that both of our leaders have said, you know, equality, women's violence, safe, sorry, men's violence, safety for women as things. And none of them had been mentioned except for the left-wing leader, Albo. He's, um, he said, I think, women's safety once. And you know, it kind of just rings true. You know, we've got these grassroots things happening. We've got podcasts. We've got people trying to do what they're doing. But we really need to breach the top of it all. When we've got two white men who don't have experience in this area, it maybe isn't an election issue. And I guess that's it's a concern for me that people don't seem to engage with that or that it isn't that. And I think, yeah, it's just been something I've been personally reflecting on the fact that I've not seen it as a problem that either of our two key leaders really care to talk about much. Well, it's even for us, like my, my position also, I say I can't be apolitical because if I am, then I'm not doing my job well because <laughs> there are there are policies that we need to advocate for that are going to be helpful. And typically that ends up falling to where one party is going to be advocating for it and one party isn't. And I will let the listeners try to figure out which one that is. <laughs> but, Use your imagination. <laughs> yeah, try think really hard on that for a second, and I'm sure you'll maybe figure it out. Um, but regardless of like even my political beliefs, because myself, I consider myself ext- pretty far to the left. Um, 
Bernie Sanders was my boy. Very sad. <laughs> <laughs> but I think he's everyone's boy. <laughs> he's Bernie. Would have been great. Would have been great. I just want to hug you. <laughs> I know. But it's I even when like for the United States, the Democrat Party, so the quote unquote left party, which is yeah. really just it's marginally just further a little bit left of center at this point. But having one of Biden's like things saying we're going to codify Roe versus Wade. And for those of you listening that don't know what that is, it's basically the Supreme court case in the United States that allowed for abortions to be legally protected to have that not happen. (laughs) Isn't it's unfortunate, but not shocking. It's both parties will use both parties for us, all parties, for basically everywhere else in the world because the two-party system is stupid. Um, they will use these problems that we face, like domestic and sexual violence, like gun violence, specifically in the United States. Um, they will use those things as like their talking points throughout an election to get their votes, not follow through with it, and then come election time say if we want this to happen we have to vote for us like yeah y'all have been there for years already and not done it why do we need to vote for you this time like all it is is empty promises at this point and unless we have people doing the actual advocacy work to force their hand it's not going to happen it's why you see the riots it's why you see the protests because Unless you're seeing this as a real issue and people are actively demanding you take action on it, nothing is going to happen. Well, I'm assuming probably all over the United States, but definitely here in Michigan, um, this last weekend, there were women's marches all over in front of court buildings um, as a way to protest the expected overturn of Roe versus Wade, which is what Sean was just talking about there. Unless we've got people who are willing to do those things who are willing to stand up for that stuff um, and then go out and do the voting and, you know, elect in the people who actually have a genuine interest in protecting those rights rather than just saying it for the votes. um, You know, we're not going to, we're not going to get anywhere. Yeah, I couldn't agree more. And I think it's actually a real issue that we're actually kind of can, I'm kind of concerned that Roe versus Wade hasn't been brought up here as an election issue because the Liberal government, which is actually the right, um, they are quite heavily religious and have stances against this as well. And we, they actually tried to bring in recently before this election started uh, a religious discrimination bill, which would allow them to discriminate <laughs> against LGBTQ people and things like that. And that was because they're saying that having to um, allow for certain things is against their religion. They're being discriminated against, which is ridiculous. But, I mean, it didn't Mm -hmm. go through. It kind of nearly did, though. And I think when we're looking at it, for for me, I can just see this government being reelected, Roe versus Wade being overturned, and then having a conservative government in power here, what does that mean for us? And I think in Australia we think, we are so protected by our healthcare rights and we've got so many different rights, I guess, than, than Americans in many ways. 
But it is very real that this could definitely actually happen here too, which is making me terrified that no one's really, other than the feminists, you know, online that everyone seems to hate so much are talking about this. And it's just, it's scary. And, you know, what are the call outs going to look like for you as a repercussion of some of these policy and political decisions that are making? They're very real. Mm -hmm. So two things. Um, one, if you're listening to this and for some reason are against feminists, um, I want you to know that is very specifically intended um, because a at the early parts of the women's rights movement is political leaders needed to create an enemy out of them. So they created this negative viewpoint of feminists, plastered that everywhere because they're like, if we can convince people that they're crazy they won't gain any traction and we won't have to give up any of the power or give them the rights that they're fighting for. Um, so just know that you've given into propaganda, basically, if you believe that feminists are bad people. Um, <laughs> Murdoch media, this, right. <laughs> the second part, um, I don't care what your religious belief system is. If you are actively advocating for things that harm the LGBTQ plus community, that are act- actively harming um, racial minority groups, that are actively harming those with disabilities. You are advocating for policies that are allowing people to commit domestic or sexual violence against them. You are allowing for policies to exist that allow for people to become marginalized. And those are the people who are the most likely ones to be placed into human trafficking. So by you advocating for l- policies that do marginalize other people, you are actively creating an environment that allows for harm to take place. Um, So I will leave you all with one of my favorite analogies that I've been using. um, And Amanda knows what's coming with this one. Um, (laughs) It's my analogy that I use to explain how an abusive person continues to get away with abuse in their relationship. So I want you all listening to think about in your friend groups, is there somebody who that if they called you up, saying they needed to get rid of a body, you would help them no questions asked. And it might sound like a weird question to ask, but (laughs) if you have that friend, now we're not going to make a justification for every murderer, right? Because we hopefully everyone listening can agree that murdering somebody is wrong and you shouldn't do that. And they're saying things like, hey man, I got this body, I need to get rid of it. We'll make the justifications (laughs) for them. We'll say, oh, I know Steve would never do this. He's a good guy. There had to be a reason for it. So I'll help him because I'll make the justifications because I like and I care about him. An abusive person needs their victim to love and care about them first before they can get away with being abusive. It would never, it's, an abusive relationship never starts abusive because if it did, we would know the person's bad and we wouldn't date them. If you wanted a first date and someone punched you in the face, you're never going to see them again. But once the abusive person can get their victim to like and care about them, their victim then will make the justifications for why sometimes their partner is being abusive. He had a bad day at work. They are only like this when they're drinking. They'll make those justifications because they care about them. And I guess in many ways as well, you love the person. When there's love involved, it becomes difficult. You love the person. Mm -hmm. It's not that you don't love that person anymore. You just want the abuse to stop. And I think that's the distinction as well for many people that they go, why didn't they leave? It's like, because maybe they think that they can change it. 
And maybe they have before because you become an expert in in managing your offender in many ways, in risk managing them, in knowing what they like, knowing, you know, things that you can do to manage the situation. And then maybe, you know, it works sometimes. So, yeah, I do like that analogy. I think that was really good. I don't yeah, know if I very would well dispose of a body, though, no questions asked. Like, I think I'd. <laughs> maybe that's an American thing. I think I'd expect a bit of money. Like, <laughs> oh, just how give much me you a, got? Just pay me a pay me in a case of a case of beer, and we're good. Yeah, give me a slab, and we'll be right. All right, there we go. <laughs> I mean, like I said, I I think those are those are great points and things to leave on. Um, going off of it, you know, why didn't why didn't they just leave the relationship? There are a million reasons why people stay in abusive relationships. Sometimes it's out of fear. Sometimes it's out of lack of resources and just um, a whole plethora of reasons. And what your job needs to be as somebody who is being a supportive person is to not judge that. You need to just keep supporting them through it because they won't be able to fully leave that relationship, stay out of that relationship until they are ready for it, but they need the support all the way up until then. Yeah. Beautiful. That was so well said. I did think of something and it was, it's yeah. a quote that I heard from, a, it's a quote that I heard from a TikTok. Sorry for dragging this on forever now. No, no, no. I love it. You, sorry for those of you <laughs> listening, if you're getting tired of my voice at this point. <laughs> um, but it was from a TikTok that I heard and I thought it was a really great way to explain how women have learned to view men because like I've said before, like we know not all men are going to rape someone, but enough of us do. Um, And the way that this guy on TikTok explained it uh, was basically what's one of the main rules of gun safety. And it's, you always treat a gun like it's loaded. Sure. Most men aren't going to be loaded. Most men aren't going to rape someone, but because some of us are, they have to treat, all men potentially like they could be a potential rapist. So unless as guys, we are advocating for and calling out and educating our friends when they're doing these harmful behaviors, we're still actively part of the problem because we're not stopping the things that could lead to those actual really harmful stuff. A hundred percent. And I actually heard a similar one, but mine was more funny. It was, (laughs) it was, all right, it's a man, and you put him into a room. There's a hundred snakes. Not all of them are poisonous. <laughs> it's just like that is an image, but it's so yeah. true, right? Like, and it's just like no, yes. no, man. It's like, well, let's give you the same situation. Would you be treating every snake in there as if it was poisonous because of the situation? Well, it's like even if we say like one in four women will be victims of sexual assault. Even if each sexual assault is committed by one man, that's still only 25% of us, but that's still a lot of fucking guys. Yeah. And I think, yeah, the rates and everything as well. Um, And even in in men, and that's the thing as well. I mean, I'm I'm working with a few male survivors at the moment to... Mm -hmm to talk specifically about this because it's a pain point of mine that people turn around and say, well, men are assaulted too. And yes, they are. 
What are you doing to do anything about talking about that as a specific topic or calling it out and saying anything like that? And I'm sick of that being somebody's fodder against me. So we're actively it's actually even- creating some stuff now because it's important. But when you're using that as a reason to discredit a woman from talking about her experiences, then you're not doing anything to gain for either. But even if you're concerned about male victims of sexual assault, primarily male victims of sexual assault have experienced the sexual assault from another man. Yes, some women do can commit sexual assault and do commit sexual assault against men, but a vast majority are going to be committed by another man. So even if your argument is, well, men can be victims too, you're still arguing that men are perpetrating sexual assault. <laughs> Oh, like God. your argument's not changing. Like all you're saying is the different is yes. a different victim. Yeah. And when people say that, I'm like, yes, I agree with you. And then it's just kind of it. The conversation stops. Yeah. <laughs> I win. <laughs> <laughs> right. The conversation I have with people um, who have arguments for uh, transphobia, you know, they, they like to say that, well, you know, someone could – pretend to be transgender to get into a woman's restroom. And to that I say, so your problem isn't with trans women, your problem is with predatory men. Mine too. As a dude, I don't need to look like a woman to walk through the door of a woman's restroom. Yeah. Like, I can also tell you at plenty of conferences that I've been to, specifically national sexual assault conferences, Typically, they just make the restrooms be usable. I've walked into the men's restroom at this conference full of women because I'm one of maybe 10% of the population at this conference that's dudes. And guess what? You're just there to pee. Yeah, it's fine. I don't care no who else is in the bathroom with me. I'm care- I'm there to do what I need to do. But no, I think, yeah. Is, is there anything else that you either of you wanted to touch on? Um, I would just say that if you are interested in hearing mine and Amanda's voice more often, please check out Touchy Subjects podcast. Um, you can find us on Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, and TikTok at Touchy Subs Pod. Um, you can find us online at touchysubjectspodcast.com. And we are on any podcast listening app. So pick your favorite one and you'll be able to find us. Absolutely. And I will share the links to all of those in the show notes for this episode. And I guess as well, would either of you mind sharing, I guess, the resources? We might be able to pop the resources for the areas that you work in um, or the services um, that you kind of provide uh, in the show notes for this episode as well. If anybody's needing any help or support um, and needs a crisis service, we can provide the numbers for them. There's always going to be those in the show notes for this episode anyway for Australia, the UK, America, and Canada but we might be able to add some more relevant ones in that are pertinent to this conversation today. I should. But if you you contact one of the um, domestic violence or sexual assault hotlines in America, um, what they're going to be able to do is they're going to be able to look up your zip code and connect you with a resource in your Mm -hmm. area. So any of those national hotlines, um, you go to hotline.org or, you know, the RAIN network and – um, they will be able to connect you with a local agency where you can actually go in and see someone face to face. Yeah, beautiful. I do have both of those actually in the show notes for the US. So that's wonderful. We've already got it there. Um, Which also reminds so me, much. I should probably add 
other countries to ours. So thanks. Yes, no, that's okay. Oh, yeah, it's because we're, we're Nash or international now. I know. Yeah, rock stars. <laughs> <laughs> but it is. I think you know. You, even I was listening to something the other day from the UK, and they're like, "Oh, nine nine nine. That's their triple zero number, which is your nine one one." Yeah. So everything is different, but there are resources that are available um they're in the show notes for this episode they're in many different places you can reach out to me if you need um maybe help finding one as well there's there's so many different things out there that you know i don't want anyone to feel alone and um it's been so wonderful to have you on sean and amanda and thank you for doing not only the work that you do as your full-time jobs as well, but this podcast that you've created to have these conversations and talk about these touchy subjects um, and get the word out there. I think it's just incredible. So thank you so much for coming on. Thank you for having us. Thanks for having us. It was a blast. And I look forward to talking to you again. (laughs) Awesome. Me too. But now this is Reclaim Me signing out. This content may have been distressing or triggering for some listeners. In Australia, for national crisis support, please contact Lifeline on 131114. For more resources, please see the show notes for this episode. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And is all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with and Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that and Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus get 15% off your first order at bowlandbranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details.